platform numbers 13. I have gotten a couple of testimonies uh, from Sunday morning. If you did receive a healing, I want to hear from you. Amen. And at some point, we can see if we can't get you to testify. Numbers 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 31. The power of words. We all speak them, a lot of them in a day. Very, very deep subject that affects every one of us. I want to read a quote. I thought this was well put and well balanced, and I want to read it to you. He said, words are not simply sounds caused by the air passing through our larynx. Words have real power. God spoke the world into being by the power of His words. We are in His image in part because of the power we have with words. Words do more than convey information. The power of our words can actually destroy one's spirit, even stir up hatred and violence. They not only exacerbate wounds, but inflict them directly. Of all the creatures on this planet, only man has the ability to communicate through the spoken word. The power to use words is a unique and powerful gift from God. Our words have the power to destroy and the power to build up. The writer of the Proverbs tells us the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Are we using words to build up people or destroy them? Are they filled with hate or love, bitterness or blessing, complaining or compliments, lust or love, victory or defeat? Like tools, they can be used to help us reach our goals or send us spiraling into a deep depression. Amen. I want to capture this tonight, and I want to preach on a very, very uh, necessary subject, nothing new, uh, but needs to be reiterated every now and then. And, and I want to preach out of Numbers 13 on the power of our words. And I want you to consider this text of Scripture. We read it. Many times, but I believe has a tremendous revelation to help us here. And I want you to begin reading with me in Numbers 13, verse 31. We're going to go through chapter 14, verse 10. So read with me, Numbers 13, 31. But the men who had gone up with him, now they had gone into the land, spied it out. They're now coming back with a report. So the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we. They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which had spied out, saying, The land which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw are men of great stature. There we saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, you got to be careful what you say to one another. Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephneh, who were among them, who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and spoke to the congregation of the children, saying, The land we pass through to spy is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. And then verse 10, the fatal response. And all the congregation said, Stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. The power 
of our words. I want to first talk about the power of the words we speak. And what comes out of our mouth is powerful and a potent force. Christianity is all about faith. And faith begins with the words we speak. If you find yourself always caught up in negative conversation or why do you think Jesus would ask, well, do you believe? Because He wanted to know what you had to say about that. Because faith uh, begins with the words we speak. And here's the issue that was surrounding Israel in this text. They disqualified themselves by speaking out their unbelief. There was this powerful, positive report of faith before them from Caleb and Joshua. But here's this negative report, unbelieving report of the other ten that overpowered the entirety of the people. So the few ignited words that they begin to speak out and the complaining and the murmuring begin to take over and begin to persuade the entire assembly. So this is a powerful truth that we have to deal with tonight, and that is the power and potency of our words. Now, the Bible addresses this head on. And one of the key chapters in the Bible is James chapter 3. There are a couple of things he says that give us a very deep understanding. In James chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, look at the ships. Although they are so large, are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So he's giving us a picture. And think about what is being presented here because this massive ship, and if you look at the rudder on the back side of it, it is very small in comparison to that ship. But yet with that little rudder, as it begins to move, that ship is able to be pushed in whatever direction. And he begins to bring this and liken it to the power of our tongue or the words that we speak and that our life is directed by the words we speak. Now, you need to get a hold of that. Okay, because this will help some of you to understand why you're where you're at tonight. Because your words uh, direct uh, that little part of you right inside of your mouth, uh, amen, has the power to direct your life in in, in one direction or another. So he then gives us another picture in James 3, 5 and 6. uh, See how great a forest a little fire kindles. You can take a match uh, and you can flick it uh, and it will land on the ground and it can begin an entire forest fire that gets out of control. So he says, see how great a forest, a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, okay? So I want you to think about that when I get to my second point about the words that come back on you. Because the words you speak defile the whole body and set on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. So he likens the words we speak as having the same potential as a match that you can flick and it touches something flammable and it begins to create a fire that is out of control that this is the potential of our tongue tonight. This is the potential of the words that you need to understand uh, because it sets your life in motion. It sets things in motion in your family, in your marriage, in a direction uh, that can be out of your control if you're not careful. So follow me here. Because think about Joshua's command to Israel. No talking for seven days, we would fail. (laughs) No talking for seven days, until the walls fall, until the trumpets blow, and then I'm going to say shout. So think about this, Joshua 6.10. Joshua commanded the people and said, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word, not one word, proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. Now I have to believe that part of this command had to do with the people not disqualifying their faith by speaking another negative report or giving in to some sort of complaining uh, 
Because the dynamics of faith and unbelief, they, they lie in our tongue, they lie in our words. So don't say anything for seven days because we're going to embark on something that, that your faith probably is not big enough for. You just go ahead and carry on my faith. God spoke to me, but I don't want you to say anything and disqualify yourself by the words you speak. So the truth of what I'm saying cannot be overlooked. Remember what Jesus said about the words that come from our mouth in Luke 6.45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. But an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings evil. Well, how do you know that? He says, because for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this is something you have to grapple with. Oh, I was just joking. Oh, I didn't really mean it. Well, I don't know. You're going to have to deal with it. It came out of your mouth. And Jesus said, therefore, it came out of your heart. When you hear people filled with curse words, profanity, or people that are always jesting, always cutting people down, this is a revelation of your heart. That's what Jesus said. Because your words tell on you. Think about it. It was words that kept the people out of the promised land. Words. Words. It kept them out of the promised land. Jesus made mention of what He called idle words. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 and 37, I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified... And by your words, you will be condemned. So according to Jesus, our words carry an eternal context and consequence to them. Now, this is getting kind of heavy. So this term, idle words, it literally means a vain, thoughtless, useless word. A word that accomplishes no good. And here it means evidently wicked, injurious false or malicious. So Jesus is beginning to hone in on something that comes very close to home because how often do we find ourselves, uh, especially in our carnality, just spewing off idle words, uh, thoughtless words, uh, words that we have not considered the consequences of, uh, useless words. Uh, Jesus says you better stop because your words have an eternal context to them. Now a lot comes to mind here. Because think about when Jesus spoke to His disciples in Luke 17, verse 1 and 2. He said, It's impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to Him through whom they come. It would be better for Him if a millstone were hung around His neck and were thrown into the sea than that He should offend one of these little ones. So a lot of offense has to do with words that are spoken. Now, it's one thing, and, and uh, you know, if you're speaking things and you didn't mean to offend and you did, all you can do is apologize and backtrack a little bit. But you didn't mean to. Even when you thought about it later, it hits you and you're like, oh, man, that probably offended them. We've all done it. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Because it's a whole other thing to offend due to idle, careless words, which is why you need to keep your spiritual life up, because if you're being carnal, you're going to speak a lot of idle, careless words, and a lot of offense is going to go forth. And this becomes something that Jesus begins to rebuke, because He says it carries a whole nother level of accountability with it. Just your words. What we do every single day is slap the lips, move the jaw, and out comes these words. We can talk about marriage. One of the most destructive elements of marriage is idle words, no doubt about it. These errant, random, thoughtless, emotional words spoken to a marriage, and all of a sudden this fire, this forest fire is burning out of control because of these idle words. Think about our children. Because the Bible warns us, and this is where the Scripture in Ephesians 6, 4 comes into play. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, 
but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So what he's talking about is you can provoke them and hurt them and discourage them with your words, with the idle words that you're spewing out of your mouth without any consideration of what it may be doing to them or how it may be affecting them. Paul says your words need to be in the form of admonition. And what that means, it involves correction, what you need to do as a parent. It involves mild rebuke. It involves warning, all the things that are associated with discipline. But it comes with a tone of love, care, and concern. And I'm not talking about you always have to talk soft to your children, but I'm talking about uh, the way in which you meet out your words. Uh, is it with the mind to build and help, or, or do you even care if you're just tearing them down? Because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. If you don't do that, your child's going to grow to hate you. Don't call your children stupid. Don't call them stupid. Don't, don't call them a loser. Don't chastise them every minute or every day for every little thing they do wrong because you're going to tear them down, you're going to discourage them, and they're going to grow to hate you. This is the power of our words. So let me then secondly talk about the curse of our words. This is kind of the main thrust of the sermon. Something you need to understand is that curses are evoked through the words you speak. Now, we can talk about blessing, but I'm not going to talk about the blessing side right now. We're going to talk about the other side. This is one of the things that is realized surrounding the story of our text. Curses are spoken with the mouth. Think about it. Blessing and cursing, it comes from your lips. How do you convey that through your lips? Why do you think prayer is so powerful? Why do you think God comes into an agreement with the words we speak or disagreement? Remember Balak. He wanted Balaam to curse Israel. What was he going to do? Just sprinkle some dust on him? No, he was going to speak words because curses are set in motion by the words people speak. In this text, we see a curse, but it's not going out. It's coming in. And this is what I want you to consider here for a moment. Because the curse is turning back on the heads of those in whom spoke it. So here is something you have to realize when it comes to the topics of gossip, slander, and evil speaking. Yes, it affects and damages others, absolutely. But let's not overlook what it does to the person speaking these things, because I think this is where we miss it sometimes. Something to consider if you have breast cancer or tumors and cysts. Because one of the leading spiritual causes is gossip and evil speaking. And I'll add the other two on there for good measure. Unforgiveness and hatred of husbands. I know there's no ladies that hate their husbands here, but just in case. But slander and gossip, murmuring and complaining will curse your home. And it will curse your body. Because it begins to turn back on you, as I'm going to hopefully show you tonight. We're talking about words that come back on us. We're dealing with something very deep. Think about what's being said in Psalms 52, verses 2 through 5. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. You love all devouring words, your deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of living. Why? Because of the words you're speaking? Because they're not pleasant to God's ears? Because they're not building, they're just tearing down and they're producing a curse that becomes like a boomerang. And Jesus sheds light on this. Think about this, okay, if you've never considered what all this means. In Matthew 5.22, listen to what Jesus said. Whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says you fool in danger of hellfire. What's the big deal? I call people a fool all the time. 
Why are you getting so worked up over this, Jesus? Raka. According to William Barclay, renowned New Testament Bible commentator, this word raka, he says, is almost untranslatable because it describes a tone of voice more than anything. Okay, think about that for a second. That kind of hit me. It describes a tone of voice more than anything. Now remember that this scripture, and if you didn't know it, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is surrounding this with a topic of anger. And he's equivalating it with murder. You've heard it was said of old, thou shalt not... You know, and he talked about murder. But if you're angry with your brother, and he begins to put this together, and then he says the statement, and if you say to your brother, Raka, you're in danger of the council. In other words, you're right on the edge. But fool, danger of hellfire. Anger in a person's heart and anger in a person's speech are equally forbidden and condemnable. To say to a person, Raka, was the equivalent of calling them a brainless idiot, a silly fool, or an empty-headed blunderer. So think about these types of put-downs. Okay? And fool was a whole nother thing uh, that was on a whole nother level, uh, born out of self-righteousness. Uh, it is a word that despises another with arrogant contempt. Jesus said, you do this and you're in danger of hellfire. In other words, something has gone seriously wrong in your heart. How do we know this? Because the words you're speaking and Jesus says, now it's beginning to come back on you and it will come back in the form of a curse and in the form of judgment. I want you to think about the dynamics of witchcraft for a moment. because This is really where I want to make the point. Witchcraft has to do with words. It's words. There is a whole dictionary of witchcraft terms. Curses that are pronounced. Little sayings they have in their witchcraft forums that they speak to put forth certain things and put in motion certain curses. This is how witchcraft works. Yes, objects come into play. But... These objects alone don't do it. It has to do with the words uh, spoken uh, that set in motion this spirit. Now, slander is a form of witchcraft. It is character assassination. The Bible says whoever spreads slander is a fool. Well, what is slander? Vine's Greek word study says false accusation or finding fault with the demeanor, actions, or conduct of another and then spreading those criticisms. Now, this is getting too close to home. Because <laughs> we enter that kind of action more often than we think. Webster's says they express them opinions that damage to speak evil of for the purpose of injury without regard to truth. And almost always, it doesn't matter what basis that you talk about somebody. It doesn't really matter the basis of why you slander or why you evil speak, or you maybe not call it that, because you think that they merit your response because of things they've done. It is forbidden. It's not allowed even when the person is absolutely wrong. Do you understand that? So I had two experiences that I want to share with you briefly. To make this point real to you. Sometimes you got to be transparent to help people. I was a disciple. And at one point I had an issue with my pastor. I went on, and I'm saying this all in retrospect. I see it now clearly. But I went on this subtle but dangerous slander backbiting campaign against my pastor. Now, it didn't matter what the issues were because that's not the issue. And this resulted in a particular night, and I remember it very, very well to this day, that we had retired to bed, and as we were beginning to doze off, my wife and I both were encountered, and we both felt it immediately with an evil spirit that came to visit that night. Now, I know now that it was an evil spirit from the Lord. 
And we're laying there, and I, I feel this enter. I, I realized immediately, immediately I knew what it was. It was the result of my evil speaking. It was the result of my slander. It was the result of this little campaign that I had allowed uh, to begin to build in my heart uh, that I had not repented of at the time. And I can tell you this much. I don't know what the ultimate result would have been. But if I had not repented, which I will tell you, I repented that night and the next day was in his office face to face repenting and confessing. If I had not, I may very well have ended up losing my salvation and even my marriage because of the curse that I had turned into my home because of the words I was speaking. Now, the second experience, I was already a pastor probably 15 or 16 years ago. There was a conflict that I was involved in, and I haven't been in many of those over the years, but this is one of them. I was not handling this conflict well. And even looking back, some of the issues that I had were legit, but I was not processing them and handling them right. And so what began to happen is my wife and I would have very unhealthy conversations in our home, often driving in a car. And I look back now, they were nothing more than slander. It didn't matter what the issues were. It didn't matter what people were doing to us. That wasn't the issue. The issue was what was coming out of our mouth. And this resulted in many, many days. And we would catch ourselves in the process and, and try to get it right and, and bring it straight. But we'd, many days we were witched in mind, extreme fatigue. All of the classic symptoms of witchcraft were all over us. And it came from the very words we were speaking. Until we finally broke it, fully repented, laid that thing in God's hands, and we were absolutely free. Because I'm talking about words that come back on you. I'm talking about the power of your words that begin to curse your life, curse your family, curse your finances, begin to cause sickness in your body that many times can be healed just by you recognizing and fully repenting, which I'm going to get to in a minute. What these were, were words turned back on me. It was the witchcraft that is involved in slander, gossip, and evil speaking. Now, I've felt it many times on the other side. I don't know who it is, but I know when people are on a campaign against me because I feel the classic symptoms of witchcraft and I know that somebody is not speaking right. All I can say is, poor you, because I just turn it back on your head and I go about my way. But Deuteronomy 127 is a very interesting scripture. You complained in your tents... And said, because the Lord hates us, He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the land of the Amorites and destroy us. So think about this. And the Bible tells us that God heard them complaining in their tents. Not only did God hear them, but He was displeased with them. And Paul draws back on that time and gives us a lesson in 1 Corinthians 10.10. 10. And do not complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now we're talking about your words coming back upon you in the form of a curse or judgment. I know this is heavy. I know. But it's just what it is. And do you know why a dog is a man's best friend? Because he wags his tail and not his tongue. That was just there to loosen you up a little bit. So let's talk about the necessary repentance. There was a moment of truth surrounding the story of our text. The things that were coming out of their mouth were very bad. They're crying out. They're slandering and murmuring against Moses and Aaron. They're... they're, they're Working the people up and into unbelief, and there's all manner of things are at work. And so here they are. And Joshua and Caleb make this appeal to them. So here's the moment of truth in Numbers 14, 8 through 10. If the Lord delights in us, He'll bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. 
Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for there are bread. So they're trying to stir them. They're trying to get them to see and think straight. He says their protection has departed them. The Lord's with us. Don't fear them. And all the congregation, here's the moment of truth, how you respond, right here. And all the congregation said, stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. What needed to happen there was repentance. It didn't. They refused and something was sealed in their spirit and in their destiny that they would never recover from. Now this is the danger we face. If we're not careful with the words we're speaking and the campaigns we're on in life. Something was sealed in them. They couldn't be appealed to anymore by faith. They couldn't be dealt with. The fear of God couldn't strike them anymore. They, they maintained their course and their current words and their demeanor and their mindsets. Uh, and in spite of these two men of faith making this appeal to them, they said, we'll deal with this. Get stones and kill them. The moment of truth. Listen, what I'm talking about, once you've entered in, I'm not just talking about you entered it, you go, whoa, whoa, and repented and turned back. And we'll all have those times. You know, we're human beings and we catch ourselves and, and you're always going to be catching yourself entering in where you're shitting with your conversations and words and, and you catch, you push back and, and God helps you. But see, here's the issue. Once you've entered in and not turned back, repentance is the only way to overcome what I'm talking about. There's no other way. Repentance is the only solution to what I'm talking about. There are people here that if you will repent of slander, gossip, evil speaking, and ultimately rebellion, you're going to see healing in your body. Others, you're going to see a radical shift in your marriage. You're not equating the two. And in your home. You'd be surprised, and I'm not trying to give kids more excuse than they already try to get for their... Uh, pushing back on authority and rebellion in the home. But you might be surprised if you uh, find yourself in this unhealthy place in your life that, that, that that's what's stirring up your children. Repentance is the only way to overcome what I'm talking about. And sometimes you can see it and, and you don't know what to do now. You, it's cause all, well, repent. True, wholeheartedly, repent. I remember... That night, I wanted to go and find my pastor that night, but I know he was really ticked at me because I heard that, that he was ready to, on his way out the door and, and his wife stood in front of him and said, you're not going in this, in this anger that you're in because he, he, was, he was after me because I had really stirred things up. But it was amazing when I repented and humbled myself. It was all over. It was finished. Six months later, I get put into the ministry as a pastor. Repentance. Ultimately, something powerful will change in you personally. There really is an easy solution to slander and murmur and complaining and gossip. Just shut your mouth. But the problem is, without repentance, you're going to have a hard time doing it. You must see this as absolutely wrong, as something that God is displeased with, and will cause unmeasurable harm to others and to yourself. I hope you're hearing me. The Bible counsels us clearly in this area. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. How powerful is that? He says, get rid of it. How do I get rid of it? Repent. Just repent. Doesn't take doing backflips. We're not going to get the hula hoops out and make you jump 50 times through and 50 times around and upside, stand on your head and your hands and, and all this. Just repent. 
And be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Just like you have been in Christ. James 3, verses 9-12. through 12. With it, the tongue, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things not ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? It's obviously rhetorical. No, it doesn't. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. See, repentance will solve the problem of the undisciplined tongue and break the curse of hypocrisy that derives from a mouth that speaks both blessing and cursing. Repentance. It's a very powerful thing to do often. Tonight, the call is not anything less than full, complete repentance. And you may not have fully realized, because God is gracious and He gives us room You may not have fully realized this thing that's turning back on you, but if you maintain where you're at, you're going to realize it. The the solution is before you get there, repent tonight. And according to Romans 14, 19, Therefore let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things which may edify another. God, I just want to be a blessing. I want to be a help to people. Oh, people are going to upset you. They're going to violate you. They're going to offend you. Things are going to happen. Words are going to fly. But at the end of the day, God, I want to be a peacemaker. Lord, I want to do what it is that will build and not tear down, beginning with my own life, beginning with my own marriage, beginning with my own children, and going into the church. Can you say amen? So here's a piece of counsel you cannot go wrong with and will assure your spiritual health, and the peace of God will be your portion. And I declare there's some of you that are reaping the consequences of your own words. You've been trying to figure it out. You have all the classic symptoms of witchcraft working in your life, in your family. There are things at work. There are physical ailments. There are all manner of things that has now come to that place, that critical place. And God is simply trying to help you tonight. If you'll repent and begin to apply this word, you'll be radically set free. and It'll begin to change the whole entire climate of your home, your life, your mind, everything about your relationships. They're going sour and tainted. And God will enter in. If You know what? If they would have repented when Joshua and Caleb made an appeal, I believe they would have gone in. But when they said, get the stones... God said, that's it. You just sealed something in your spirit and in your destiny. You're not going in. God help us. I'm not pronouncing that tonight. I'm not pronouncing that upon you. I'm just saying you better sober up because that's the potential. If we're not careful with the words that we speak, can you say amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed all across the assembly tonight. The necessary repentance... God help us. I've been praying all day long that God would bring a tangible conviction and a tangible fear of God in light of this sermon to help us tonight. To bring deliverance to people. To open our eyes. And I believe there are those here that you are seeing this very scary prospect in your life and God is convicting you and there will be repentance at this altar. There are others you're treading in very serious ground and if you're not able to be shifted, you're in danger of sealing something in your spirit and destiny. You're here tonight and you're not right with God. You know, the whole thing about living in sin that you have to understand, and you really have no control. People think they have so much control in life. I'll just change this about myself or put aside this or stop doing this. It just doesn't work that way. I'm sure you found that out. Because sin is a curse. It is the curse of fallen man. There's only one solution to the sin problem 
in humanity, it is Jesus Christ. There is none other. You can go through all the religious motions. You can go through all the religious classes. And you can do the sign of the cross and whatever you think. But it's not going to turn back that curse. There's only one thing. It is that blood that Jesus shed. The fact that He died, He became the mediator between God and man. And repentance is what enters you into that. God, I am sorry. For I'm a sinner. And and the further curse is that man thinks that somehow they can compensate by being good. But there's no such thing, Jesus says, as being good. We fall way, way short. You'll never accomplish that status with God. The only way is through Jesus Christ. The question is, are you ready to accept Jesus into your life on the basis of repentance? I'm a sinner. I'm not right. The life I've been living is not right. But I am ready tonight to be right. I want to be healed. I want my mind to be healed. I want my family to be healed. I want my home to be healed. And the process can begin tonight. You don't need another course or another class or another 12-step program. What you need is the power of the living God in your life that begins with repentance. And you're ready to do that tonight. I want to ask you just to lift your hand up and say, that's me. That's exactly where I'm living. I've tried it my way. I've done it my way. Right over here. Thank you so much. Who else? Thank you right here. Who else? I'm ready to do it God's way. I'm ready to turn that back. You may look at your life and say, it's such a mess. Where do I begin? Right here tonight. Thank God He made it simple. Right here tonight, you begin by repenting and asking Jesus in your life. And step by step, you begin to live for God and He begins to help you and change you. There's a miracle waiting for you at this altar. Who else would respond with these honest hearts? I'm not right. I'm ready to get right tonight. Pray with me. Lift your hand up all across this assembly. God's dealing with you right now. You'll lift your hand up so I can see it. We want to pray with you. Simple prayer. Thank you over here. Thank you. God's going to help you. God's going to heal something in you. Who else? God's drawing in your heart. You're, you're under conviction. You're, you're feeling the weight of what I'm talking about. You're ready to give it to Jesus. Come to Christ right now. Lift your hand up. You're backslidden. Come back to Jesus. God's waiting for you. God's waiting for you. Will you lift your hand up? Let us pray. Anybody else? Very quickly. All across this assembly. You're backslidden. And maybe your disqualification was the words you spoke, the campaigns you went on, the anger you manifested, the bitterness you wouldn't get rid of. It'll always end up the same. You cannot serve God and hold on to those things. You cannot, Jesus said, have the love of God in you and hate your brother. Cannot. Impossible. You will stand before God and you will be sad on the day that He says, depart from me, I never knew you. Thinking you were going to get in. But you never got rid of that bitterness. You never gave up that rebellion. You never stopped that campaign of horrible words that were tearing people down. And God is calling you to repentance tonight. Lift your hand up. You're backslidden. Come back to Christ. Okay, listen. You lifted your hand. I want you to look at me eye to eye right here. I know you meant that. You meant that right here too. All of you are coming and meet me at this altar. Three of the sisters are coming to pray with these. Lead them in a prayer and then take time to minister. Every other head is bowed. In a moment, we're going to open these altars so that we can repent. So that we can repent. God, forgive me. Forgive me of the words. Forgive me of the things that I've held in my heart. Whatever God may be convicting or dealing with you about, you're going to bring it to this altar wholeheartedly repent and God is going to move on your behalf let's stand to our feet if there's a visitor around you take time to talk to them otherwise we're coming to this altar we're making a place to interact with God connect with Jesus tonight Uh, we're going to sing a song as we come to this altar we're going to allow the spirit of God to minister and help us tonight Oh, thank you, Lord. Si araba kore besi bi ki araba sai. Guli miriamando robo so kore beke. Oh, forgive us today, Lord. God cleanse us. The idle words, the slander, the gossip, the complaining, the murmuring. 
Oh, God, forgive us tonight. Lord, we want your name glorified. Oh, Lord, I thank you, God. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, create in me. That's our cry tonight. Lord, cleanse us. Create in me a clean heart. Holy media mando robosa. And renew a right spirit. Oh, Lord, I thank you. Hallelujah. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, oh, oh. Oh yes, cast me not away. Cast me not away. Oh God, visit the altar tonight. God, break the yoke. Oh, Thank you, Lord. Restore unto me. Oh God, and I thank Hallelujah. And renew right spirit within We're going to sing it one more time and then we're going to pray. Created me a clean oh, Lord, you are our help. We stand upon oh, your word. We beg your mercy tonight, and oh God. Renew right spirit within Created me a Cast me not away. Cast me not away. Oh, fill this place tonight, God, with your presence. All that you are. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you're at with your heads bowed. We're going to pray. You've come to the altar. You've confessed. You've repented. Now we're going to break the curse associated. I'm telling you, for some of you, it is going to be like night and day. Because it's been such a deep, entrenched part of your life, your home. You're going to, as you push back and follow through that repentance... And you got to understand something about what I'm talking about. Once you enter into this realm, it becomes a part of who you are. So you not only recognize it, you're going to have to push back real hard on that tendency when it comes in. It's become a part of who you are. But, but repentance is powerful to break the yoke. And tonight we're going to pray, and I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. Oh God in heaven, I thank you that you've heard my repentance. And I am truly sorry. And I come before you by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I break the curse that I've turned back upon myself, upon my family, upon my home, my finances, my physical body. I turn it back. I break the curse of it by the blood of Jesus. God, I'm asking healing in my physical, uh, in my mental, uh, and my emotional life. Uh, And I thank you tonight, uh, and I press in uh, to glorify your name and to edify others. I thank you that you've heard me. In the name of Jesus, begin to worship right now. Father, we thank you. I kondi bi arabason no robo bobo rose. I Hallelujah, my lord. I aramamando roboko. I ki aramando roboko. Oh God, we thank you and worship you and honor you. Jesus, we magnify. Hallelujah. Holy be the Amakondor Robo Robo Say. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, Almighty, Most High. All glory to your name. We thank you, God. Hallelujah. Glory and honor and praise. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God. So go and follow through with whatever you brought to the altar. I'm telling you. And the thing about it is, when you really, really recognize and come under that fear and conviction, a big part was accomplished at this altar tonight, guaranteed. If your heart was really smote, and I know not everybody's at that level, I realize that you did the altar just because I would have too, just because I want to keep my heart right. For some of you, uh, this can be a major, major turning point. And uh, just see the blessing of God that will begin to flow because you've, you've been evoking curses on your own life. And tonight you're going to begin to work against that. And God is going to move forward. You watch. You watch the power of God. Watch the healing power. Watch the testimony of restoration in very short order that God will bring and help you with. Amen. We're going to dismiss. Don't forget, tomorrow night, Spanish service, Friday, Bible studies in youth. And then Saturday morning, if you're not associated with the 5K, there will be prayer and outreach here. And uh, otherwise, they still need help. And there's time to sign up in the foyer on the way out back in church Sunday. Powerful wedding. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. We're dismissing in prayer. Thanking God. All that He's doing. John Galvez lifting his voice and dismissing us tonight. <laughs>